And you know what that sound means. That means it's time for another rousing round of the Dicer Screaming coming at you. Live from Southwest Michigan. <laughs> hey, uh, it's not live, but you know. It's close as you can come to these days of actually transmitting something of, in accordance to being live or something where we have. Well, given our absence of skill with any kind of edit function, uh, you know, we're as close to live as it gets. Uh, we, I totally deleted the edit function. I just don't even care. Um, it, we are, however, recorded with a dead studio audience. That's right. All of whom are grinning toothily at us right now. So welcome, and it's Tuesday, so hopefully you're having a great time, or if it's the middle of the week and you're just looking forward to some gaming or looking towards the weekend, maybe we can help salve that wound for you. Now, uh, we do have a pretty good uh, topic for you tonight. I think you'll enjoy it. But uh, we do have some carryover from our comments from last week about uh, Steampunk. Yeah, our last quite, episode. The, quite the array. Yeah, we provoked some strong opinions, which is... Something we always like to do. Cool. I mean, we don't have to agree or even disagree. All we have to do is just be here for you. Yeah, we're we're here doing our groove, and uh, we enjoy the interaction. So no worries, mates. Yep. You Coming know, at free. you from the Autonomous Gaming Citadel, we are the slightly out of focus gaming podcast. Oh, oh, the the dime store uh, reading glasses of. Uh, gaming podcast. Exactly where I was going. Yeah. So, without further ado, we're going to turn it over to some comments. First, from Gothly, or stately Gothbridge Manor. It is Gothly. Tim Shorts gives us his opinions on Steampunk. Hey guys, it's Tim Shorts of Gothbridge Manor. A very good episode. I think Steampunk is one of those genres that kind of gets forgotten in a way. I mean, you see the fashion everywhere, but a lot less, I think, in the literature and in gaming. Uh, it's a fun time period to mess around with. Uh, I know, like, you know, you can mess around with a Victorian attitudes from back then, which makes it kind of fun. And watching those old movies, like one of my favorite ones with... Uh, Everything was, uh, what was it, the uh, first man on the moon. I uh, thought it was a, that was a cool movie to watch and an uh, interesting story. So keep up the great work, guys. And thanks a lot, Tim. Yeah, I think we do need more steampunk. It is an interesting genre to explore. And, uh, yeah, with uh, Victorian eras and all that. Space oh. 1889 was my go-to for that. Yeah, I mean, it can be, uh, honestly, it, it can wander its way into almost uh, any array of genres. I mean, you you can use alien settings and things like that where it's just a, a mishmash of technologies that are familiar to us with, again, imaginative speculative fiction tech that we haven't yet, you know, developed ourselves. Uh, the sky's the limit for imagination. It's the atmosphere, the, the sensibility, the... The thing that defines a steampunk setting is that uh, outward-bound exploration edge uh, where, you know, people are not content to sit uh, inside their safe borders and be content with the familiar and the known. They're constantly pushing outwards, looking for what else is out there. Uh, and that tends to drive the theme of adventure and 
uh, a lot of the classical pulp uh, that led to what we think of as steampunk loosely. Uh, and, and the fact that it's so wired into, as a genre, it's so wired into all that classic pulp. Uh, perfect example, um, Sky Captain uh, and In the World, the of, world, tomorrow. world of Tomorrow. Uh, that was a really heavy-handed homage to a lot of stuff. A lot of people didn't get that movie. Uh, I always lamented that my dad did not live to see it because he remembered those serialized movies, uh, the classic Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers serial shorts at the movie theaters way up north uh, on those rare occasions when they could get into town and he had a pocket full of nickels. Uh, and so it was his time at the movies. Well... I honestly think that that movie came closer to capturing that sensibility than any of the other more modern retakes on those. So, you know, that, that would have been a classic example of, like, film. And I'm going to have to look up The First Man on the Moon and watch it, just on general principle. Yeah, and there's a lot of good uh, material out there in comics um, and various other mediums. I mean, there's been a couple games that uh, have hit on the uh, genre, or oeuvre of, I should say, not genre, but the feel of a steampunk, Arcanium. Oh, oh, the yeah, the Arcanum game, uh, where uh, the players are kind of stuck choosing between magic and technology in a world where both are beginning to collide, and they cannot easily occupy the same space. Uh, the more powerful the technology, the more it dims the magic around it, uh, and the more powerful the magic... Uh, you know, the more the technology is useless. Uh, that was an interesting game option. Uh, it was quite back in its day. The other thing that I wanted to reference that I missed last week, the name of the anime that I was referencing was Last Exile. Yeah, and I would also uh, throw in there, Crom, curse me for a fool, Metropolis. Oh, hey, classic ancient film now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's an old film, but very relevant into that whole genre. But again, thank you, Mr. Jorts, for calling in, and sorry about the gothy Gothridge. It, it's stately Gothridge. Stately Gothridge Manor. We bid you well. And now we're going to turn a little bit of our segment over to Joe Richter from Wheel to Woe Podcast, who has some definite views on steampunk that he wants to share. And so we're going to put them all together and let's listen and then we'll respond after this. What's up boys, it's Joe. Uh, I had to call because you guys are talking about my most favorite, least favorite topic and that's steampunk. The funny thing is I sort of mentioned it on an episode of Swordbreaker today and I've talked about it on my own show and I talked about it online, but so this might actually be a multi-part message. Uh, but I just thought the irony of you singing a punk song on an episode about steampunk was just absolutely delicious because there is absolutely nothing punk about steampunk. That's my main beef with it. The ideas are sort of cool. The genre is okay. The time period's fine. It's just the name. There's nothing punk about steampunk whatsoever, and I will go into more in a second. So anyway, yeah, punk is anti-authority. It's anti-establishment. It's anti-corporation. 
it's angst, it's dissidence. And as you guys pointed out, there isn't any of that in steampunk because it's coming from a positive place. Had they called it anything else, I'd probably be totally fine with it. But it just really annoys me when people claim the punk tag and there's nothing punk about the setting or the genre or the game. I just think it's a little disingenuous. Um, But yeah, man, like the thing about the historical parts about steampunk is they didn't call it steampunk back then. It was just science fiction. And so it was cool, and I had no problem with it. Change the name. There's nothing punk about it. Let me just reiterate. I don't really have any personal beef with the genre. Like I said, I think it's fairly interesting. And if people just would call it something else, I wouldn't have any beef at all. Uh, That sounds like a me problem as opposed to another people's problem. But, you know, we all have our quirks. Uh, Call it pulp. Like, call it pulp all day, and I am on board, man. I will play in a pulp game all day long. I will read some pulp books all day long. But throw something called steampunk in front of me, and I ain't touching it. You guys are the best. Sorry for taking up so much of your time. Peace out, and have a good weekend, dudes. Yes, you can add political, anti-political, anti-establishment, themes into your steampunk game but they're not there inherently inherently in the system like you mentioned it comes from a positive place it's a positive outlook that's why it's not punk all right joe thank you for sharing your views with us and uh you know i can agree a lot about the uh there's not much punk per se, in steampunk. And yeah, you do have to salt it in. It's not baked in like it is with Shadowrun or Cyberpunk. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, even in uh, other genres, you know, the the word punk gets used almost at random now. I mean, just because it it lends a patina of rebelliousness to anything it's attached to, you know, Mm -hmm. by, by implication. Whereas tried and true ancient cyberpunk... Very punk. Shadowrun, uh, you know, the punk is fading away at the edges now. You know, I mean, you it's not like it's not there to be found, but... Oh, well, it's know, quite prominent, you're, but it's You're not... dealing with, like, kind of a neuromancer level of uh, corporate opposition, and they're also your patrons, you know. Uh, you're, you're exploiting... Working for man. You're exploiting their competitiveness with each other to make a little win for yourself while you're stuck in the middle. Uh, so, I mean, can it be called true rebelliousness? I mean, it's survival on the fringe, but... Uh, on your own terms, I guess. But, you know, more to the point, I think that uh, steampunk is what you make of it. And if you're looking for the cast off all shackles of society and just, you know, do what you want, it is... I guess to revisit some of our views on it, uh, it's a postmodern view. And I, it's, you know, that wasn't present when you use the works of Jules Verne or H.G. Wells or Arthur Conan Doyle. Uh, well, and it, it also hangs on, you know, what you mean when you say punk. Because, uh, you know, the truth is I emotionally divorce myself from the music of my youth and the 
you know, kind of semi-political or apolitical nature of punk rock uh, circa the late 70s, early 80s. I, I divorce that meaning from myself before I use terms like cyberpunk or steampunk uh, because I don't really see the two of them as like inextricably linked. You know, so when I'm when I'm saying steampunk, I'm not saying steam adventure, but with punk sensibilities similar to 1970s, 80s, you know, music scene. No, I, I don't draw any conclusion there because you're you're absolutely correct in that uh, the two are radically different. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> not big. Don't in. look for true punk. Uh, you know, <laughs> in in steampunk, there there isn't any to be found. Uh, yeah, you have to really add it in there, and that means you have now, to kind of make a whole setting I, to I support. I do that. like the whole Firefly plucky bundle of misfits who don't quite fit in in civilization. Uh, you know, moving outwards towards the fringes. You know, which I, I mentioned uh, after Tim's uh, comments. It, that is kind of the soul of steampunk. Is that that band of outsiders, you know, the, the mm -hmm. explorers of the 1800s, at the end of the 1800s, uh, in spite of the awful things that, you know, came about in some cases, uh, much of that exploration was driven by people who constantly hungered. They were never really happy sitting in civilization. Yep. It, was, it was there for them to go home to. They, they, they could have stayed where it was safe, but they were just haunted. They were driven to keep seeking out the wild places, to draw a map, uh, to follow the course of a river until they found its source, uh, to survey lands that, you know, were literally unknown to the rest of civilization. Uh, the sense that there was something more out there to be known, to be discovered, to be learned, they were so hungry for it that it drove them away from safety. A little part of me says a little part of that is really pretty darn punk. Uh, you know? Well, I I can't uh, disagree on several of the quotes that we read there from the Space 1889 summed up my thoughts on it. But but alright, yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Joe. And uh, of course, keep the calls coming in, man. That, that was pretty insightful, so thank you for yeah, sharing. Yeah, it was. It, it, I, honestly, now I kind of want to do a music blog. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I mean, we're a gaming podcast, so I, I'm going to, like, get back on task. <laughs> but it, it was totally food for thought. Thank you. So, with that, uh, calls ends out of the way. Thank you all for contributing. And, again, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, of course, feel free to give them to us on Anchor. You can give us both barrels. Crazy Just, ideas for future podcasts. We're hip to that, too. Yeah. But uh, keeping in our genre of dystopian future. Tonight's topic will center around something lighthearted yet very dark. So we'll leave you in stitches and we'll break for a word from our sponsors and be right back with you after these messages. All right, so we're back and here we are with topic. So tonight's topic is paranoia. No, not the song by the Kinks and not a state of mind, although they do apply in some measure to this. We're talking about Paranoia, the role-playing game. Ha ha ha. Paranoia will destroy ya. Or at the very least, kill all of your clones. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I take die six clones worth of damage. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> oh, the computer is not my friend. Oh, yes. He you is. lied. The computer is your friend. You're just not friends with the computer. <laughs> yes, that game that came out in the mid-80s uh, has become somewhat of a vaunted classic among certain people. Hated and loved in equal measure, I think, because it is an anti-role-playing game. And we're going to discuss that at length. So, without further ado, talking about Paranoia. It came out in 1984. It is a box set from West End Games. Uh, Greg Kostikian was the one who uh, kind of was at the head of it, but he had uh, a lot of help from some other diverse hands, oh, as they yeah. like to call it in the genre. But um, basically, uh, Paranoia, um, it came out as a system, and people really didn't know what to make of it. At first, it was kind of touted as a kind of a science fiction adventure game, you know? Well, yeah, uh, that was the, the initial thrust, was that it was speculative science fiction-esque uh, dystopian future. Uh, well, the dystopian wasn't really there, but that was the hook. And once you open the box... Well, I mean, you know, Alpha Complex is pretty freaking dystopian. I well, mean, yeah, but you, it's, it's like, not presented there. You know, you just got a bunch of uh, troubleshooters or a presumed adventure-type character all looking up suddenly like as if they hear something on that initial cover. And that was the beauty of it. It wasn't really presented as, like, this is a dark, sinister, humorous future. But once that box was opened and the high programmer, a.k.a. the Game Master, got his hands on it, oh, boy. Uh, Yeah. Subversive. Like Terry Gilliam's movie Brazil played out in a Stalinist gulag (laughs) underground. Just wow. Uh, Twelve monkeys. <laughs> uh, you know, it, wherever you go for dystopia, uh, paranoia has it in spades. Yeah, and that's uh, the point I want to make. It was very subversive at how it initially came out. And those who initially got on board with it were its biggest adherents. And uh, I, as a player, was kind of against it at first when presented with some of the concepts therein. And, of course, the player's guide doesn't really prepare you, or at least it didn't in its scope, for what this game was all about. Because the player's guide was more than willing to spin the familiar lies. <laughs> yep, the familiar trope. You know, this is how you create your character, these are the tools you need, this is how you advance and rank. Welcome to the noble and heroic troubleshooters, beloved heroes of Alpha Complex. Uh, not Kind of glossing over the fact that, as the, the high programmer knows, you are the people who pissed somebody off for no particular reason, at some other job, and have been given this assignment as a suicide. Oh, man. Now, for the, for the folks at home who may not have had the glorious pleasure of playing those initial halcyon days of paranoia as it first appeared, let me just say that it is very much, in my mind, a perfect subversive text to being an anti-role-playing game. It lured you in with all the typical... Uh, Oh, all tropes the, of the day, you all know. The sci-fi trappings, you know. You, you, you had got, lasers. You had, you know, you were working to save Alpha Complex from spirits and subversive elements. Commies, mutants, and traitors. Oh my! Yeah, they're out there, and you they're know. just getting stronger. And your job as a troubleshooter is to solve Alpha Complex's problems, to oppose its enemies, and to protect its your fellow clones uh, into perpetuity. 
so that Alpha Complex can stand secure forever. Oh, but it gets deeper. Yeah, and this game came out, and then, you know, afterwards the joke was out, or the cat was out of the bag, however you want to put it, and then they just kind of fully embraced it with later editions. But whatever edition you got on board with Paranoia, if you haven't played it, do so. I'll give you the short-form intro, okay? Alpha Complex is an underground complex in which humanity is managing to survive. It's actually one of a series of complexes. Uh, although it is operating autonomously and does not know precisely of others. Now, the entire complex was meant to protect humanity in the event of a huge nuclear, biological, chemical attack. Uh, and the people dwelling in it uh, fled to it long ago, believing that such an attack was imminent. And then the doors closed and it was secured and now they're deep down in there and they've been there for generations. But tragically, uh, apparently the radiation beneath the earth is not really good for uh, people. So it became necessary to clone because there wasn't much luck with a nice birth rate. So people are being cloned uh, and, you know, food is being great. Food-like substance is being, <clears throat> you know, generated. Uh, and hundreds and hundreds of years later, the effects of living down there, everybody has, well, developed little mutations of their own. Now, the obvious mutations are all weeded out, so only the more discreet ones are permitted to survive. Uh, technically, the enemies of Alpha Complex are commies, mutants, and traitors. But since everybody lives in an incredibly dystopian... Uh, society that is absolutely authoritarian, everybody is up to something that isn't technically legal, which means that everybody is a traitor. <laughs> uh, and since everybody is a mutant, you're all mutant traitors! <laughs> uh, while you hunt mutant traitors and perpetually turn on one another, uh, inevitably as your private plots against other branches of power in Alpha Complex, kind of spill over into the eyes of uh, law enforcement. Uh, <laughs> and it it's just a game of screw your neighbor in the most innovative and discreet possible way while trying not to get executed for it yourself. This is a comedy gold mine. Right, and a lot of the tropes of games is like to get your group together Utilize your various skills, which your mutations you can't even confess to one another, and your alliances with cryptical societies or cryptic groups, which are forbidden, you can't reveal <laughs> to each other. So, and you are all given agendas, which sometimes can be uh, congruous to one another, but also can be antithetical to each other. So, you can't, of course, communicate that. And then, right from the get go, the party is at odds with itself. So it is the anti-role-playing game, whereas in most other role-playing games, traditional ones, the party is assembled, you reveal your class, your, maybe not so much your alignment or other things, but your abilities, your skills and powers and whatnot, and then you uh, try to maximize and survive through various encounters and that the Game Master throws at you. Well, in this one, that's not the case. And as we well <laughs> might well put in there, it's a dystopian comedy goldmine because... In most of the role-playing games, the Game Master follows the player character's antics, shepherding them, alternately uh, adjudicating their actions, while trying to maybe keep a plot or 
keep some semblance of a cohesive narrative going on. Paranoia? No. This is the Game Master's entertainment. You are all here for the high programmer, the Game Master's amusement. Yeah, and it's certainly within the Game Master's right to slip notes. I mean, you know, notes are note-taking and note-passing is very common in Paranoia games because you have to discreetly communicate uh, rather than simply announce things to everybody. So there, it's important for DMs running a Paranoia game to have phases where messages can be passed regularly. And in the age of smartphones, it's quite possible for players to uh, fire rapid shot, you know, communiques to their DM. Yeah, uh, but the Game Master is completely at ease with and given free reign to goad the players into fighting one another. Oh, not to mention faulty equipment galore. Uh, sabotage by being rivals. Yeah, sabotaged by rivals who do not want you to win, uh, who do not wish for your success. Uh, hampered internally by members of your own party who may have a vested interest in making sure the mission fails, uh, or even attempt to assassinate a fellow clone. Like, okay, I'm the party commander. I instruct you to go in the bat storage. They keep all the spare soylent. I want you to go inspect the walkways there. <laughs> Those two clones leave. One clone returns. <laughs> uh, it's just, <laughs> what happened to him? I, I, I don't know. He, he may have lost his footing. I, I, I couldn't see him. I mean, it was a big area. We, we had to check the whole thing. And we were trying to be really quick. I, I don't know. He just didn't make it back to the rendezvous point. Yeah, no one ever knew. <laughs> and within this... And, hey, for once, the Soylent had some extra flavor this week. And even doing oh. that, the Game Master is free to say, well, the computer watched you murder a fellow troubleshooter, and so now you are earmarked for termination. Please report Damn. to your nearest a, termination booth for prompt and summary execution. Have a nice day. I didn't know there was a camera there. Arr. There's cameras everywhere. Um, yeah, there you go. That's kind of the kind just that paranoia put into the mix. That was the grist for making... A scenario was basically the game master could just create. Okay, you got to go repair a faulty camera on this level, and you find out that the security clearance for it is beyond your color because everybody has colors: the Roy yeah. G. Bibb scale, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. With ultraviolet being the highest, and infra being yeah. the lowest. Yeah. <laughs> Who well, cares about an infrared sock? Boy, you screw this up, you'll be lowering an infrared sock. And so, it's pure comedy gold for the Game Master. Now, players can approach it in various ways. If they try to play it straight, you know, we're just going to work together and we're going to stick close. The Game Master completely sabotages them with their cryptic alliances and secret societies, as well as just the machinations of computers. The computer itself, which is extremely paranoid and unprepared for managing the daily tasks set us for it years and or centuries ago. It's just not up to snuff and it's faulty. So it's quirky in its own right, and because other high programmers have seeded it with their own agendas and views, it's often contradictory and at cross purposes with its own programming. Yeah. The computer is not one single 
perfectly aligned sentient AI anymore. Uh, it is now a mentally fragmented, uh, paranoid, uh, childish, petulant uh, maniac. So, which means well, you know, it it still has its core mission, but it has been so abused by so many programmers, uh, pecking away, you know, creeping up on its authority, uh, filling in the blanks with things that suit their own interest, that after generations of this, the computer is a mess. So <laughs> It's buggier than an unpatched version of Windows 95. Oh, ow, man. And for those of us who were there, that was pretty bad. <laughs> and so that's where you create your... <laughs> we laugh. Adventures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adventures, my yeah. butt. Uh, although they provided some of the finest, for this game, some of the best modules were released. I, I was so impressed by them every time. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to do something I almost never do. Mm. Uh, I have, Randy knows of this from, from many long years of me kvetching. I've held such a grudge against Ken Ralston uh, in all other publications in which he has been involved. He's been the guy who was just the poop in the punch bowl. Okay, and like an otherwise perfectly good game, and then, <laughs> oh, somebody did a Ralston in it. I don't want it anymore. I hated everything he did. But in Paranoia, this guy found his home. I, this is where his mentality, his pace, his sense of what was appropriate met its ultimate playground. And he got it right. Uh, so when he wrote for them, the material was fantastic. It was perfect for the setting. And uh, you know what? All my other irritations with him aside, I cannot deny that the material he produced was outstanding for Paranoia. It was perfectly suited for it. Uh, because Paranoia lends itself well to a ham-fisted, railroading approach. To DMing, yeah. You don't have to make excuses. The computer is completely schizophrenic. It's off-kilter. It doesn't work. And it's contradictory to itself. Even its own orders that just get issued. It can be glitched out and you won't know it. Other things that apply into role-playing games like a kind of expectation that the Game Master is going to be fair is completely out of bounds in Paranoia. You're not... Don't be fair. Be arbitrary. Be petulant. Do whatever you want. Kill them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Have fun. Make them laugh. But that's the only expectation right there on the Game Master is have a good time. And if you try to play it straight as a player, yeah, you can, but you really won't have as much fun as just going wild with it and betraying your fellow troubleshooters. That's number one with a bullet fun that Paranoia offers you. No longer do you have to put up with that annoying paladin. Shoot him in the back with the laser. The guy's always like telling you what to do as a cleric, bossing you around as a magic user because he's got all the spells. Well, guess what? That Wait player, till you're in a firefight with some uh, commie mutant traitors. Throw a grenade there and say, hey, remember when you scorched my fighter with the fireball? Payback's a bitch, ain't it, motherfucker? <laughs> and, you know, bam. Yeah, it's a game of tit-for-tat, revenge, betrayal, uh, and wrongdoing. And, God, how I love it. Yes, it's gloriously <laughs> put forward that you're not there to try to save the world because it is a dystopian future and you really don't want to save it. You're literally eating the dead. 
that uh, what do they call that? Happy fun. <laughs> happy fun meals. Yeah. Yeah. Happy fun meal. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's literally recycled clones. You know, of course, an homage to Soylent Green, but yeah, you know, it borrows heavily from many different aspects of oh, popular fiction. It's like so Karl much. Marx wrote a script that was directed by the Marx Brothers. <laughs> oh, and let's see, there was a, uh, the only use of the word Gotterdammerung-esque uh, was for the module, the Yellow Clearance Black Box Blues, mm-hmm. uh, which one of the most comprehensive adventure path supplements they released. With multiple opportunities for adventure. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Uh, some handsomely thematically linked, uh, up to and including venturing into the out of doors, uh, <gasps> outside Alpha Complex. Is that even legal? There's no ceiling. <laughs> Where does the light come from? I don't know what we should do. The ground appears to be green clearance, and the sky appears to be blue clearance. <laughs> Yeah, they're very color-oriented. Blue clones don't belong in the green zone. <laughs> uh, no, that was the gist of it. I I liked the adventure paths because they provided DMs in an unfamiliar environment, a very unfamiliar environment. You can wing it as a DM in D&D. Once you've played a few modules, you don't really need much help. To break out of the familiar role of Dungeon Master, where you're shepherding players through a campaign uh, or through a dungeon, sure, their antics may get up to some things, but if you're forced to wing it, you, you've got a pretty, guy, pretty good idea of what a dungeon should be and well, what a module would be like. Paranoia had much more nebulous goals. It was absolute chaos. So, you know, a DM needs help framing the environment. And here were these terrific scenarios, handwritten, including, as Randy remembers well, something fell off. Yep. Guarding the Mark, was it the Mark IV super tank? Yeah, it was some monstrous uh, semi-intelligent weapon. Yeah. A tank, and you know, you were as troubleshooters, you were to help maintain it. Yeah, you were supposed to guard it for the night before its big parade show off, where they they display it before Alpha Complex. Uh, and all of its high leaders. You're the guard squad that is supposed to watch over it for one frickin' night. And everything in the world goes wrong. Including, something fell off. Every secret society, cryptic <laughs> alliance with a grudge against the computer comes out and tries to sabotage this thing. And including other members that support the computer whose agendas are not being fulfilled by the current programmer. Oh boy. Yeah. So yeah. you're the sad saps who drew that duty. <laughs> uh, uh, now, if I recall correctly, your your trooper was uh, a member of the Sierra Clubbers. Yes. And yeah, far from wanting to break it, you just wanted to leave behind a small potted plant inside. Uh, and, you know, during the something fell off point, you got your, your hot opportunity to hide a tree inside the corner of it. Just to bring a little piece of life into the cold sterility of this combat vehicle. That's right. It made it more... It gave it a little bit of a soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Sierra Clubbers. Uh, oh, 
Only you. <laughs> the Smoky Bear Bot. I'll never get over that. Only you. Bang. Only you. Bang. <laughs> I love Smoky Bear. Uh. <laughs> oh, the fire prevention and awareness bot. Yep. Smokey the Bear Bot. Killed me. <laughs> Beat the tar out of you with that shovel. Yeah, but I've had some great moments with Paranoia. I, I rarely get to run it because it's more fun to play. And more part, appropriately for me, I enjoy watching people just kill each other for no other reason than now that they can. They know that this is perfectly allowable. There are no expectations to maintain party coherence or adhere to any idea of morality because you can just do whatever you want. You're all going to probably end up getting disintegrated in a... This, uh, suicide booth at some point in time, so you know. <laughs> uh, you uh, will, do, do they have those, or is that just uh, the uh, what do they call the booths? The assassination booths where you have to go? Termination. Termination booths. Yes, termination booths, yes. <laughs> they don't have the suicide booths like Futurama did, but I always thought Paranoia or Alpha Complex should have a few just because. Yeah, just on general principle. But your, your characters are fed drugs, you have a party morale officer. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, a little too excited on the happy pills. Time for a sleepy pill. Oh, sleepy time pill. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they give you a whole bunch. Oh, way too many meds uh, for the player's own safety. Uh, and, of course, it's not like you have clearance or permission to run around abusing these substances. And if at any time they cause you to compromise your degree of service, woe betide ye. To the mission or the computer, and the team leader has absolute authority to terminate anyone at any time, but they do have to justify their actions or they get a visit to the termination booth. Hey, you win an all expenses paid visit to the termination booth. I don't want to go there. Now you are. You you don't have a choice. Oh, come on. And they just shove you into it. I fight them. Oh, good. They love a good fight. Those green vulture troopers are bored. They don't get much of a workout. So, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> believe me, their arms aren't even tired yet. <laughs> Those truncheons will be swinging for the rest of the day. <laughs> but, you know, Paranoia also had its own... You know, they gave you this tantalizing list that, like, when you get a higher level of clearance, you'll get more weapons and gear because that's the rewards of being a troubleshooter. And... Your service to friend computer. But you've never really got... I've never really seen a, a campaign get past uh, orange. <laughs> oh, no. Because, you, know, you, you know, you get orange. Maybe I've seen a yellow pers person get up yellow, but, you know, nobody lasts that long. It, it all devolves into vendettism and just... I think only one person even made it to blue once. Uh, past the yellow mode, and that was in the yellow clearance black box blues. Yeah. Because... Uh, Many of the players had to start at yellow clearance just to start that operation. Yeah, well, we did. We, I think we started in that yellow, but you know, it all digressed. It, it always does. Nobody, Every great paranoia campaign starts long. with the highest of ideals. Hey, we're just going to play through this. We're going to work together and stay unified as a team and not fall to backstabbing <laughs> and infighting at all. Right, guys? Right, guys? Big wink. Yeah. Sure. I'm on board with this. <laughs> oh, don't worry, buddy. I got your back. That's right. You don't worry about checking your six. Got you covered. Uh-huh. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. 
Yeah, that's Paranoia Porter. It's the anti-role-playing game. Subversive, humorous, and very dystopian. Um, if you get a chance to pick up a copy, I mean, they're coming out with a computer game for it, so oh. I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. Oh, so happy. I can't, can't wait to give it a try, because that's one, like, if that hits Steam, I will be on that like stink on a monkey. Kid you not. It's well worth it, whatever edition you play. There's no real mechanic uh, in there that I think has done it better. I think the Mongoose version, uh, the 25th anniversary edition, was pretty nice. It was at least accessible. accessible. Just uh, Die 20, I think, was what it was. Not uh, the Die 20 system, but just use a single Die 20 roll <laughs> under. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've done a bootlicking test. Uh, yeah, bootlicking as a skill, along with Hutsa. And Hoot- Moxie. Hootspah and Moxie. Yeah, Hootspah. Uh, you know, you're... Mad Moxie. Yeah, lots of Moxie. That boy's got Moxie. I like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to mention Hootspah. What a skill... You know, what a... Uh, it's a stat, okay? That tells you something. Well, yeah. It, Hootspah It's is almost a like stat. they borrowed the tune stats. Yeah, they did. From tune the role-playing game, so... But, all right, well... Well, I think we've covered Paranoia... Remember, oh. keep your laser handy, trust no one. And remember, the computer is your friend. <laughs> oh, and one other thing. Hmm. Uh, you know, the, uh, the computer may indeed be your friend. But uh, the laser is actually your, your much closer pal. Uh, hmm. You should probably name it. Uh, because it will do more to keep you alive in a paranoia campaign uh, than this code than, you can trust. Yeah, yeah, not computers, not your teammates, not high programmers, not, not your teammates. This the laser, that that is your true friend. That's right. Uh, just a little advice from <laughs> both DM and player. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wind it up yeah, for us today. Let's wind it back. Okay, uh, you know it's a good game to check out for a good. Uh, Palette cleanser, I guess. Uh, yeah, Grossoff gave us that one. Play with friends, you know, people who got a sense of humor that are on board with it. This is not one to be played in a room full of people with easily hurt feelings. Yeah, because you're gonna waste each other, and you gotta play it like laser tag with your buddies. Where, just, oh, dude, seriously? Yeah, I know. I'll get the next round when we go out for drinks later. <laughs> it's also a good drinking game. Every time you lose a clone, take a shot. <laughs> you got shot, so take a shot. All yeah, right. Leave the leave the car keys and a hat in the closet and <laughs> get ready to lose some clones and uh, do some serious drinking. All right. So as we wind it up, we appreciate you hanging out with us and hope you learned a few things, laughed a little bit, or at least frowned some and cut us off midstream. So... If you did either of those things, just let us know in the comments on our Facebook page at The Dice Are Screaming, or let us know on Twitter, where you can get a hold of me at Death Hand Gaming. that's D-E-T-H-A-N-D, Gaming. Or Match Eye Box. And you know, leave us a message, direct message, and we'll get back to you. But until next time, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.